right. Thank you, Pastor Russell. Thank you for being here. Thank you for those of you joining us online. And for those of you who might be here for the very first time or you've been coming here recently, I want to say this on behalf of our leadership team. Our house is your house. You're not here by accident. You're here because God has a divine purpose and plan for your life. I also want to thank you as the Pearl Side Ohana for this past Seek Week, three days of prayer and fasting. And I want to tell you, it was a powerful time of prayer. Come on, give God a hand. I want to say now more than ever, I believe this, God is calling for his people to be people of prayer, to continue to reach out to their family and friends with the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ that will set them free. Because we know in a few days, the leadership balance of this nation is, is, at, is at stake. And so I believe as we continue to pray, as we vote, come on, right? We need to righteously, biblically vote. I believe that God is going to use and pour out his spirit in a mighty way on, on this nation. Can I hear amen? amen? Well, welcome to the conclusion of our series, Made for Greatness After God's Own Heart. And I believe this, that that's a great aspiration for all of us as believers to try to achieve. Because as men and women, as young men and young women of God, I believe that is one of the great, greatest commendations that God can give us. That he can say, my son, my daughter, you are a person after my own heart. How many would love to hear God say that of you? Okay, 10 of you. <laughs> the rest of us, come on now. How many will be, will be blown away if God would call that of you? That you're a person after his own heart. Come on. Can I hear amen? What that means is a heart that is devoted to him, a heart that worship him, not only here on a Sunday, but also in your everyday activities, that even in the mountaintops of life, when it is easy to worship him, to give him the glory, you would do so. But even more so when we walk through the valley lows of life. And we've been in this month looking at the life of King David, and we certainly know that he had some mountaintop experiences but he also had some valley lows, which we will look at this morning. So we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 11, this particular passage of scripture, King David is now probably in his 50s, and I can relate. <laughs> when I was in my teens, I said I would never turn 20. When I was in my 20s, I said I would never turn 30. In my 30s, I said I would never turn 40. And now am I in my 50s, and it's all downhill from here. <laughs> well, King David is in his 50s. Reread here. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. That woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. That man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Even as we... Lord, spent the last few minutes to worship you. Lord, I pray that your presence, Lord, would inhabit the praises of your people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word. That, Lord, throughout this word, Lord God, as your word says, there is no combination. But, Lord God, we must look at the reality of the life that we live. 
And I pray that, Lord, we would be people of integrity, people of purity, people of authenticity. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We, your servants, open our heart, our ears to hear from your word. We give you the praise and the glory. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, up to this point, David was a stellar servant of the Lord. He was faithful. He was obedient. With the people of Israel, he was revered, he was respected, he was beloved by all the people of Israel. King David, in the past life, he was only part of the ruler of a part of the nation of Israel. Now he is ruler and leader and king over all of the nation of Israel. He is an outstanding warrior. Come on now. Right? He is a poet songwriter. He is a father. He is a leader of arguably the greatest nation of the world at that time. And we know this, the blessing and the presence of the Lord was upon him. We can see that it is evident in Scripture. He had just come off the battlefield. There was a decisive victory over Israel's sworn enemy, the Ammonites. And so things were going well. Things were falling into place. He was being blessed in every area of his life. But unfortunately, one rash decision, a slip in his morality, and a slight compromise brought the judgment and dire consequences not only upon himself, but upon his family and over the entire nation of Israel. Not only, as we saw in Scripture, not only did he commit adultery, but he also committed murder to cover up his adultery. And I wonder, Scripture is not very clear on his motive or his reasoning, but I wonder if he allowed success to get to his head. Many of us, if we read newspapers, we go online, we know many people, right? They were once humble in one life, but all of a sudden they got a little successful in business or leadership, some opportunities, some platforms that were enlarged, and all of a sudden they change, right? And they get a little, little big-headed, as we say here in Hawaii. They, they get a little fool of themselves. And all of a sudden, their character and their nature turns. And we see that here in the life of David. Not only did he commit adultery, but he also committed murder, a double sin. He ceded the leadership and rulership of the armed forces of that day over to his generals. And he was caught with his guard down. But several principles we can glean from this part of David's life that we can apply to our life. First of all, we begin by choosing consistency over compromise. Choosing consistency over compromise. David's role as commander-in-chief over the army, over the military, was to lead his men into battle. He was supposed to be at the forefront of that. But instead, he took maybe a playoff. This was now the final push to finally eradicate the Ammonites, Israel's sworn enemy off the face of the planet. David's reasoning is not very clear in Scripture, but certainly he was not supposed, he was not supposed, he was not, excuse me, he was not where he was supposed to be. He allowed complacency. He allowed overconfidence to seep into his leadership. And I can say this, we can easily fall into that same trap. Come on, all right? When success comes our way, a blessing of God comes our way, healing comes our way. Our relationships are healthy. Things are moving and things are grooving. And sometimes when things happen like that, we might think easily that we are the reason for the success that we are experiencing. 
a little pride starts to creep in. And I'm sure I'm, 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 I'm taking a little bit liberty here with this passage of Scripture. Maybe David thought, you know what? I've been in the battle. I faced a lot of battles. Israel is probably not the greatest superpower on the planet. I can take a playoff. I think I deserve it. I'm entitled to take a little break. All right? I'm going to put, in, uh, put myself into cruise mode. I'm going to take it easy. All right? And most times we can allow complacency and compromise to take over sound judgment. When we're tired, maybe he was tired. Maybe he just said, I need to take a little vacation. I need to go to Disneyland. <laughs> Some of you are like, why you stop picking on me going to Disneyland, all right? He needed to take a playoff, and he put himself on the bench. Maybe he thought, well, God knows my heart, right? God knows my heart. I've been serving him all these days. I've been faithful. I've been obedient, right? I took care of Goliath, right? I brought Israel to the, the, the place of being blessed above, above all the other nations of the world, right? Maybe he thinks like sometimes we are, where we're, we're at in life. Well, God, I come, I'm faithful to church. I come on time. Ooh, that's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> right? I serve. Right? I go to small group. I lead a small group. I lead multiple small groups. Right? right? I tithe. I check all the boxes of being a Christian. Right? I think I deserve a little break. If I'm honest, there were moments in my life I thought those same thoughts. I could use a vacation. It's been a tough slog. It's been difficult. I've been in battle after battle. I think I deserve a break. Does God expect me to keep up this level of faith all the time? The answer is yes. Walk by faith and obedience all the time. That's why the Apostle Paul encourages us. Let us not grow weary or tired of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Trust me, maybe you are there today. You feel like giving up. You feel like you've been in the battle after battle after battle, and now it's time to take a vacation. My answer to you is, my encouragement to you is, don't do it. Continue to walk. Continue to do good. Continue to believe for the breakthrough that God wants to do in your life. Can I hear amen? Can I hear a stronger amen those online? I heard it. So we find here David is now taking an afternoon siesta. He's getting up. He's about to enter into his evening meal. He decides to take a walk and get some fresh air. So he goes up to the roof of the palace. The palace at that day, how it was built and constructed, he had an elevated vantage point over the entire city. And when he looks over the city, he sees a woman bathing. And I like what Scripture says. It says she was a beautiful woman. We have to acknowledge that. Now, David could, as king and a man of integrity, a man after God's own heart, should have done the righteous thing, as I believe all of us would have done. He would have turned away and walked back into the palace. How many of you would have done that? I thought more hands would have gone up. Woo, the first service, a lot of hands went up. But I think some of you guys were like, but she's beautiful. No, 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 no. Get back into the palace, David. Get back into the palace, Paris. Right? That's what David should have done as a man of integrity. He could have turned away. 
Instead, he decides to pursue his passion, to indulge in his human flesh and fall into willful sin. Because when we stop being consistent in our walk of faith and obedience, it opens the door for the enemy's traps to ensnare us. When we take a pause, when we take a play off, when we put ourselves on the bench, when we slow down. That's why now more than ever, as we end the year, I want to encourage you, end the year strong. Can I hear amen? Don't give up. Don't say, well, I can't wait for my vacation. I can't wait for Thanksgiving and Christmas to relax. No, we keep on pressing forward. We keep on moving in faith and obedience. Come on now. In my life, maybe it's true in your life, I find the enemy comes at me at usually two points in my life or two points in the season that I might be facing. Usually he comes at me when I'm about to have a moment of breakthrough, when I'm believing for something, and he comes at me to discourage me to not continue to pursue, to not continue to walk in faith and obedience. Does, does that happen to you? Or most times in my life, the enemy comes at me after a powerful move of God. After Seek Week, when we had the healing, when we had the breakthrough, when we experienced the power and presence of God, all of a sudden the enemy comes in. Now, I know the scripture is very clear that the Bible says the enemy is like a roaring lion. Now, I wish in my life that were true because I, it would be so much easier if the enemy came at me from a frontal assault and I saw him, I would be ready. That would be so much easier. But the enemy is a snake, a slithering, conniving snake. And he just waits in the grass. He's like the enemy at the gate, just waiting. I'll let you have your good time. I'll let you have your powerful move of the Holy Spirit. I'll let you encounter the presence of God. And boom, I got you. I just woke up some people here this morning. At that moment, he comes at me. And that's what happened to David. Powerful move of a decisive victory. King, adored, revered, respected. In his 50s now, level of leadership is at all-time high. The blessings of God pouring in not into only his life, but the entire nation. And there the enemy laid a trap for him. It could be a mission trip. Our Japan mission trip team just came back yesterday. And Pastor Camille sent a text to VN who led our team. says, the battle's coming. <laughs> Don't let your guard down. That usually happens, right? In a commentary that I read to study for this particular passage of Scripture, the author said, when we are out of the way of our duty or purpose or mission, we are in the way of temptation. When we are out of the way or off the path of our mission, off the path of our purpose, we become in the way of temptation. That's why I want to say to you, you might be facing a battle, don't stop. You might be facing a challenge in your life, keep on moving forward. Everybody say moving forward. Don't give up. Because once we stop, once we slow down, the enemy will come in to discourage you, to lay a trap for you. And I believe that as we continue to walk by faith and obedience, the Lord's presence will be there for each and one of us. Second thing is we learn compromise will lead to consequences. 
Compromise will lead to consequences. David finds out the news that Bathsheba's pregnant. So he concocts and devises a plan to invite her husband to the palace to throw him a dinner, to get him to go back to his wife, to relax with his wife. Doesn't he deserve that? Right? To take some time off the battlefield and come back home to be with his family, to sleep with her so that the pregnancy would be hidden. Well, it doesn't go quite as planned. Uriah is a man of integrity. He is one of David's most trusted friends. He is part of David's mighty men. He is like a Navy SEAL, if I can use that term. He says, no, my men are in battle. I can't do this. I need to go back. So David goes, well, that plan didn't work. I got to try another plan. According to Jewish law, David and Bathsheba, if they were caught in this sin, they should have been killed. Yes, the king should have been killed. A capital crime deserves a capital punishment. And he should have been put to death. So David commits his second sin. Sin of murder, to cover up the sin of adultery. And he involves other people into the plan. He gets Joab, the general, the five-star general of the armed forces. He says, Joab, send Uriah to the front of the battle, the most fiercest place in the battle, so that he can be killed. So Uriah goes to the front of the battle in service of his friend, the king. He is KIA, killed in action. David hears the news. Bathsheba is lamenting. She's in grief and in sorrow. And David decides, well, I'm going to do a noble act, an act of righteousness, and invite Bathsheba into the palace so that everybody around me can see how good I am taking care of a widow and the family. It was not a righteous act. It was a devious act. It was an act to cover up his sin. Because when we are caught on the path of sin, we often try to cover up our tracks, right? Inevitably, it will lead us further down the destructive path. I am now a foster dad over two, actually three people now in our home, a 15-month and a 21-month baby. And even at their young age, OMG, come on, parents. (laughs) I didn't know how sinful they are. They fight, over, they fight over the same toy when there's a lot of toys, all right? And, and they, they, they point at each other. And, and I'm like, you guys, stop. You guys are so young. How can you guys be blaming each other for the trouble that you are in? I'm like, where does that come from? All right? And we all have those tendencies. When we get caught, we want to pass blame, right? It's, it's just a little slip. It's a little thing. It's no big deal. But God wants to deal with those areas in our life. Can I hear amen? Um, Pastor Coach Alfredo, who leads our Pearl Highlands campus, maybe he's shared this story before, and maybe you've heard it. And so I'm in my 50s now, so the dates are a little cloudy. (laughs) And so I believe it was 2003-2004. I was the college pastor at at that time. And so it was a holiday, if I can remember this correctly, and we had a college young adult outreach at Waimea Bay, Waimea Beach Park, and a beautiful day. And so they were gathered there, and I, I came a little later. And it, unless you camp overnight, 
<laughs> or you get to the park and find a space at 3 o'clock in the morning. You ain't going to find any parking, especially on a holiday. Come on, how many have experienced that before, right? And so we get to, I get to Waimea Bay, and I have a, at that time, I drove a two-door Toyota Celica, real small car. And there was no parking. I went around and around and waited, and finally I just gave up. And so I go up the hill on the Bakai side of the road, and on that side there's a sign that says no parking. But like any good pastor, you ignore the sign. <laughs> and so I kind of squeeze in uh, along the path, and I say, I have a small car so I can fit. All right? and, I, and I said, oh, poor guys behind me and in front of me, because there, there's no way they're going to get out. I just squeezed in there. And so I, I'm walking down the path. I'm looking. That is, I look at the entrance of the park. I'm like, that's so far. There's no way. I, I don't want to walk that far. And then also I hear Coach, hey, Paris. I say, oh, hey, hey, Coach. Hey. You know, I think there's a shortcut. We, I think we can take a shortcut so we don't have to walk all the way down the hill into the parking lot into, onto the beach. And so I'm looking. I'm walking. And I, all of a sudden I see a dirt patch. And I turn around. And I go, hey, coach, I think we can take this shortcut. We can go this, boop. Before I could even finish the sentence, I slip. And I start slipping down the, the, the hill. And at this point, I'm grabbing everything. The towel is flying. Bags are flying. And I'm like, ah, and I'm going. And all of a sudden, behind me, I hear coach slipping. <laughs> if you know how coach is, right? I'm like, are you speaking in tongues up there? All right. And so we're both sliding down. And we must have slid down 40 feet. And we hit the end. Boom. I'm scratched up, I'm bleeding, I got a cut on my foot, but we're just, we're just laughing, all right? We're just laughing. We didn't die, thank the Lord. But I found this to be true in a spiritual sense. Sometimes we think a shortcut is the easier path. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, that, that, that slippery path of sin, we're like, ah, it's just no big deal, no one can see, ah, you know, God forgives, Right? And all of a sudden, life is like, we're just like falling on this path. We can't stop. We're grabbing at things like, oh, God, where are you? Boom. So we hit the ground. That's what sin can do if we allow it to fester and grow in our life. Well, God is displeased now with his son, David, the man after his own heart. So he dispatches the prophet Nathan. Nathan was a very good friend of David, his peer. And Nathan comes and tells a story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man, overflowing riches, wealthy, has a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle. And there was the poor man who had only one little lamb that the poor man took care of. And there was a traveler that came and visited the rich man. And the rich man decides, instead of taking what he has, he takes what he doesn't. And he takes the one little lamb from the poor man and uses that as a meal for the traveler. Well, like any man hearing this story, King David got angry. He got incensed. He says, well, that man should pay for what he stole. And he needs to pay four times what he took. And he needs to be punished. And we pick up Nathan's response in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan said to David, 
You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I've anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had not had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. We find here that the prophet is replaying the blessings of God upon David. David was anointed king. He was the forgotten son, the eighth child of Jesse. He was tending the sheep. Even his own father forgot who he was. And God brought him into the house to be anointed as king. God gave him the anointing to defeat Goliath. God gave David the anointing to lead the nation, to win battle after battle after battle. And here, King David despises all of that, the blessings and the presence and the power of God in order to pursue his own passion. With so many blessings, David was not satisfied. He wanted more. When we lose the sense of gratitude, we can easily look for more to satisfy that hunger. That's why the Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived. Do not take it for granted. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. My question to all of us, including myself, what are you reaping? What are you sowing? Are you sowing seeds of integrity? Are you sowing seeds of purity? Are you sowing seeds of righteousness? Because if you are, you will reap that in your life. Or are you sowing seeds of deceit? compromise a little here a little there a little tweak and pretty soon we're going to be reaping that which we have sown and it not only brings destruction to our own lives but the lives of other people around us and i know this as american christians here in north america we don't want to hear words like this we want to hear words how can i be blessed how can I have more for what God has? How can I accomplish the purpose of God? Well, one of the things and one of the areas that we have to deal in our lives is sin. Yes, we will all fall short. We will all fall short. When we, you leave this place and someone cuts you off in the parking lot, you may sin. <laughs> all right. I'm making light of it because it's a difficult subject. And the Bible says there is no condemnation. I'm not here to convict you. I'm here to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and I, myself as well. And finally, we must come clean before Christ. We must come clean before Christ. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. When David was caught and confronted about his sin, he didn't make any excuses. He didn't try to shift the blame upon someone else or a different circumstance. He didn't say in his mind, well, if the woman hadn't been bathing on the rooftop, I wouldn't have seen her. Just like how Adam blamed Eve. If the woman you gave me didn't give me the fruit, we wouldn't have sinned. And so many times we can blame other people, other situations. We can blame God for putting us in this situation. 
We can blame others. We can blame our parents. We can blame our spouse. We can blame our kids, our teacher, our coach. But I love what David did. He owned it. He owned it and he repented. He didn't try to run. He didn't try to hide. He willingly confessed when he was confronted and then he repented. Repented. Here's the key. Confession and repentance is the key that unlocks God's grace and his mercy. When we try to hide, he withholds his mercy from us. But when we willingly confess and say, God, I have sinned against you. I repent. I turn from my wicked ways. Repentance is a 180 turn. And I believe sometimes that's one of the hardest things to do in our life because we are very prideful people. And it's very easy to shift blame upon other people and other things versus willingly saying, Lord, I have sinned. I am sorry. I repent. Because David repented, God demonstrated his mercy toward David by not killing him. He should have been killed, but God did not kill him. God heard David's apology, received it, and offered him forgiveness. However, there were still consequences to David's sin. Now I wish I could stand up here and say, well, everything turned out well. It didn't. There were still some consequences to pay because of his sin. The son that Bathsheba gave birth to got sick and died in seven days. David prayed and fast. He called upon God. He believed that God would heal his son, but it was the price to pay for his sin. And God took his son home. Not only did David's sin affect him, but it also affected his family. That's why David penned this psalm in Psalm 51. He said this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we are caught in sin, when we are caught in errors of compromise, we can easily blame other situations, other people. But we need to own it. Or we can make excuses. Ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Nobody knows. Right? We can say, well, that anger, that rage, it's just the way I am. Right? I'm a work in progress. And sometimes we say that phrase too lightly. Kind of an excuse to not allow God to transform us. Well, it's just the way we are. Sometimes we say that about people. It's just the way they are. Paris, it's just the way he is. And God's saying, no, I want to transform you from the inside out. Can they hear an amen? Right? We can make an excuse. Well, people don't know what I'm going through. It's a hard time. It's a, I've been battle after battle. Come on. I deserve a little break. I deserve a little thing here and there. It's okay. No, it's not. Usually that type of thought will lead you to a place of isolation where you start to push everybody away. King David pushed everybody away. He pushed General Joab away. He pushed his mighty men away so that he could be isolated in his sin, thinking that no one else would see. But God saw, and God brought judgment. But he also brought his mercy. 
Because in his mercy, he gives us the opportunity to confess and repent. Not in your notes. It's the scripture, Romans 2, 4. It says this, don't despise or don't take lightly the kindness and the richness of God's kindness. Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God is rich in his mercy. God is rich in his kindness. But do not take that lightly. Just like Pastor Adam Mabry said, there, is the, there must be the fear of God. The fear of God says, Lord, I must do whatever I can in my power by your grace to not sin against you. Yes, I will sin. Yes, we will all sin. Yes, we will all fall short of the glory of God. But when we willingly repent and confess before him with authenticity, God offers his grace and his mercy. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God's grace is his unmerited favor toward us. He gives us grace and empowerment of his spirit, even though we don't deserve it. But mercy is withholding his judgment, even though we deserve it. We deserve death, but through his son's sacrifice upon the cross, he gave us life. That's mercy. God didn't leave David alone in his misery. He blessed Bathsheba and gave David and Bathsheba a second son, which we all know his name to be King Solomon, who history says was the wisest man in all of the earth. Pastor Bob and Audrey Meisner, they were married for 17 years. They met each other in Bible college, very successful in ministry. In fact, so much that they were given the television ministry, they were given platform after platform to minister. But with ministry comes a lot of busyness. And something happened in their life to wake them up. Take a look on screen. Bob and I both loved that whole idea of doing anything for Jesus. We were in ministry. I was a Jesus girl. We were rock solid. For Audrey and I, serving God meant everything to us. And that involved, you know, a lot of long hours, a lot of devotion, a lot of sacrifice. As a pastor, I saw this young man who just needed some guidance. So we invited him to be a part of our family activities. I remember feeling so exhausted, so overwhelmed, and hiding that. And then this young guy starts coming into our life, and the first thing he says is, he seemed to be doing everything for everybody. Do you need some help? And I was like, yes. But the more we hung out together, it turned into, you are, you are so beautiful in every way. Like, I wish I could find a girl even just half as beautiful as you. When I knew I was going to be seeing him, I made sure I looked good. I felt like I was invincible. I thought I could have this guy flirting with me. Nothing would ever really happen. You know, sin takes you further than you ever thought you would go. It goes little by little by little. You just start just one little compromise, just a teeny tiny compromise. 
And then you quickly find out that there's no such thing as a small compromise. Because that one little touch of the hand or that one little rubbing against, it did something. It, it electrified me somehow. And so I wanted more. You see, sin always craves more and is never satisfied and wants that next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And before you know it, you're on this, this thing that you just can't get off of. I had a sexual affair with this guy for three weeks and I knew that it couldn't continue. Because I just felt something in my heart say, you have to tell Bob. It was the most intense, scary, awful moment in the whole world. And I said, I actually did, I did it. I had an affair. So immediately my mind is flooded, images of her with this person. Where am I? Where were our children? This isn't just a little oop. You say that you love me, but yet you give yourself like this? It makes no sense. The rage and the anger that I had was so intense. I just stormed out of the room, slammed doors, stopped my feet. I mean, I was a mess. I really wanted to hurt her. I wanted her to feel what I was feeling. Just when I didn't think the desperation could get any lower, I found out that as a result of this affair, I had become pregnant. And on that day, I didn't think I could face my life. I just felt like I had blown up my whole family. I cried out to God, will you forgive me? And then I went to Bob and I said, could you ever find it in your heart to love me again? I knew that in that moment I had to forgive her, but I was only capable of so much. That afternoon, I had to forgive her again. Later that evening, the next day, weeks, months, even years, forgiveness really was a process for me. But we together chose to press in you know, to each other, but really into God, because we were hoping that he could rescue, not just us, but rescue our family and my children. When he was born, I asked Audrey if I could name him. I gave him my name, Robert. I don't want my son to ever question one day in his life whose boy he is. He's my son now. The fact that he has his name just is that complete acceptance. It's such a picture of what God does for us. Not only does he accept us, not only does he forgive us, but he gives us his name and he redeems our life from what was supposed to be stolen and taken away. He gives us as a gift. And you know what? There's really a revival after repentance. We don't have to have any secrets anymore. We trust each other and we love being married. When you participate with sin, it always takes. But when you participate with God, He always gives life. I love that. That's the power of God's mercy for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that powerful closing statement. Audrey says, there is revival that follows repentance. 
There's freedom when we repent. Bob says, right, when you participate with sin, there is death. When you participate with God, he always gives life. It's our choice. Not to blow off sin, not to say, oh, that's a little compromise here. No one sees. It's not hurting anybody. But when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us because he loves us, it opens that door for us to repent, to confess, to turn. As we come to the table of communion, the worship team, you can join me up on stage. You were given a communion element as you entered in today. If you don't have one, lift your hand and one of the ushers will get you one. For those of you joining us online, you can find anything in your home to participate with us in this moment. Communion is remembering the Son of God, Jesus Christ, being the perfect sacrifice for us, dying the death that we should have died in our place, paying the penalty of sin for us, the perfect lamb. If you would tear off that first layer revealing the bread, the bread representing the beaten, bruised body of Jesus Christ, the crown of thorns that he wore, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear in his side, the whipping, the lashing, the torment that he took for you and I paved the way for us to be put on the path of righteousness, paved the way for us to have eternal life. And today we remember his sacrifice for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to be the perfect sacrifice for us so that we would be reconciled with you. Lord, we remember your sacrifice. You didn't have to do it, but you did it willingly for us. And we are so grateful and thankful for that. Please partake of the bread. Peel off that second layer, revealing the cup, the cup representing the shed blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us, which allowed the remission or the removal of our sin past, present, and future. But I want to say this. Let's not take that for granted. Let's not take that for granted. We may not be perfect. I get that. But I want to do my best by the empowering grace of God to be as righteous and as pure as I can be in this life. His blood poured out, which offers healing which offers forgiveness, which offers reconciliation and gives us eternal life. So Lord, we thank you for your shed blood poured out for us. Help us to not take that for granted. Forgive us where we have taken it lightly. Forgive us. And here in this moment, maybe for some of you, you need to do a little business with God even right now. It's been an area of compromise. Maybe it's been an area of willful sin. 
It's not an oops. It is sin. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the courage to do business with the Lord. To repent. To turn away. And come to the Lord. And when you do, it unlocks His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace for you. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. Thank you. Pour out your mercy. Pour out your grace. Pour out your forgiveness, Lord. Please partake of the cup. Can we stand in the moment of worship, declaring that He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever? turn our hearts to you, Lord God. We encounter your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, come, Lord.